works. So I don't have to preach after that. That's what we're talking about today. But I am going to preach. All right. How's everybody this morning? Yes. Who's joining us in a fast? Just show your hands real quick so I can know. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody get grumpy this week? All right. Thank you for being real and honest. Like, it's not easy what we're doing when you jump into a season of prayer and fasting. We're doing it corporately, so we're doing it as a church body. And we had, I don't know how many, 140, 130-something cards that you guys came last week and committed to say, I'm in. That's awesome. And there's some weird things about the things that we're praying for. Just so you know, you were prayed over this week by our pastoral staff. We've been praying for you as you join in this season. And one of the main things, uh, we're, we're playing around with words, and it was the, the three Ps is what we were thinking about. It's like porn, the pub, and peanut butter. Well, like, what's up with peanut butter? A lot of you are fasting peanut butter. So I don't know if all these are going to have lots of peanut butter this week because nobody's buying it. Um, so, uh, no, I'm just, I'm playing. All right, so just let's keep pressing on, right? This is week one. We got week two and three coming up uh, in this season. We're asking God, would you move? Would you show up? Would you, um, would you draw us closer to you? Like, like we want to see him and, and, uh, and experience the promises that, that we get in that process of fasting. And so, so let's keep exercising our faith, right? That's what we're talking about in the book of James. We're exercising our faith. If you're new to New Hope, maybe it's your first time with us, you haven't been here for a while, um, we provide you tools as we go through series like this through the book of James. We have a thing called a reading plan. Every week you can grab a reading plan. There's physical copies on the table on your way out. We also have a fasting guide that also has a reading plan on it as well, and it's all on our app as well, on our website. It's everywhere, all right? So you can get that, that stuff and join us in reading ahead of the sermons. So this week you were reading James chapter 2, because we're actually doing all of James chapter 2 this morning, and so we've got a lot to dig into uh, this morning as we get into this. So not only do we want to help you have the tools so you can get in God's Word each day, and it can be anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes, whatever time you have, right? Um, but find that time, that pocket, make a commitment to spend that time with God. And then we're also talking about memorizing Scripture. That's the prayer and fasting thing. This is what we're doing. Go there. All right, so, so we're memorizing Scripture, all right? So we're, we're hiding God's Word in our heart, in our minds, not just like reading it and then forgetting it. We want to hide it in our hearts and our minds so that whenever things come up or whenever we're in situations, that's what comes out of us, right? What comes out of you is what's what you let in you. In this season, we're fasting from some things that we continue to let in us. Some of it might just not be good. So garbage in, garbage out. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's what happens in our minds and our thoughts and even in our lives. So we want God in. So God comes out of us and his word comes out of us. So let's read this memory verse together as we're at the first part of James. This is a promise from God. Everybody ready? All right, read it together. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That's a great promise, isn't it? I know some of you during this fast, this is probably part of your prayers, right? Like, God, I just need wisdom about this. The circumstance, the situation, the position, the thing I'm longing for, the thing I'm wanting to see, I haven't seen yet. Like, you're asking God for wisdom. It's a great thing to ask for. Just be ready, because wisdom normally comes with trials, right? We talked about in James chapter 1, don't, don't be surprised when trials and temptations come. Um, that's a part of the growth journey. That's a part of like pushing through so you grow on the other side of it. And so get ready when you pray for wisdom that something might come to test you. 
so that God can say, now we're going to gain some wisdom together, right? You're going to grow in this together. So don't be surprised when that happens. All right, so we are in James chapter 2. I want to jump right in, and we're going to read the whole chapter together this morning. And here at New Hope, we started a new tradition, and I think we're just going to keep doing this, is that when we read the Word of God out loud together, um, we're going to stand in honor of it. So if you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we read uh, James chapter 2 is where we're at this morning. We always say bring your Bibles, or if you have an app on your phone, um, go to James chapter 2. And I'll be reading it uh, from the NIV, so whatever version you have, that's, that's fine as well. So, <clears throat> so let's read today's passage as we dig into it. Verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes, or filthy old clothes, also come in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom, of, uh, uh, the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker." Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is not merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is good, or what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If any of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was it not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So God, as we read this scripture and as we dig into this today, there's a lot to chew on. There's a lot to process. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you give me your words and not my own? Would you help me preach with clarity and help all of us to receive what you want to speak to each of us with clarity? We know that your word will not return void. It'll accomplish what it wants to when we are open to your work in our life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. So we're talking about victory. Everybody say victory. victory. Right? That's what we're living into. Amen? Amen. 
That's what we want to walk into in this season is victory. And so we're going to walk into that uh, together this morning as we look at these two passages. There's a lot in this, isn't there? Like it's, it's a thick passage and, um, and there's, there is a lot in it. So, so let's, we're going to dig into it, okay? So if you have fill in the blanks on your worship programs, right, we're going to get to those in, in just a minute, and we're going to go through this a, a little by little as we read through James chapter 2. So I was reading a book, and our, and our whole staff read this book. It's called Leading Like It Matters. It's by a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle, who leads Life Church, one of the largest churches in the country, about 100,000 people part of their churches. Like, that's a lot of people, right? But he shares a story early on in his ministry where, um, where he was invited to go be a guest preacher at a small church somewhere. And, and as a guest preacher, you know, he didn't know exactly what he was getting into with his church, but he knew it was, it was more of a conservative church. He knew that you had to wear a suit and tie to show up and to be a part, and, and so he knew what to expect when he was going to go preach at this church. Well, later on in the week, he gets a phone call from the church secretary, and, and she says to him, hey, just so you know, you better do a good job. And he's like, I mean, you plan on doing a good job no matter what, but it's, you better. He's like, well, why is that? She goes, well, we have a guest coming. Somebody called, and, and they said that they're going to come and, and visit us on Sunday. And so he says, okay, I'm going to do my best. And so he, he hangs up the phone and is thinking, oh, they must not get very many guests. And so he's wondering, what is this going to be like when he shows up at the church? So he shows up Sunday morning, he sees everybody. Everybody's dressed to the nine. Everybody's looking like perfect with their suits, ties, dresses, and looking really nice. And, uh, and he talks to the secretary. She goes, okay, I thought, you know, a lady called us. And she seemed a little distraught on the phone, and, and she wanted to come and visit our church this morning. And so he goes and waits kind of and sees what's going on on the front door. And, and it's interesting what he called the, uh, the elders. So they're elders that would always be at the front door. He called them the, the, uh, the bouncers. They're the church bouncers. And so, so the elder bouncer was, you know, at the door greeting people as they came in. And all of a sudden he saw a car that looked like it has been on its last leg pull into the parking lot. And then he sees a lady come out of the car and she looks not to the nines. Her clothes are a little bit wrinkly and, and you could tell she like put the best thing on that she had to come to church. And he's thinking this must be the girl that called. And so he's standing there, and the, and the elder is standing next to him, and, and she starts walking towards the church, and he could tell she's, she's a little distraught and wondering what's going on. When she gets up to the steps of the church, the elder looks at her and says, Sorry, honey, we dress our best here to show God glory. And Craig, Pastor Craig was watching this whole thing happen, and it's like, you got to be kidding me. And he saw tears well up in this girl's face. And she just turned around and got in her car and drove away. Ouch. Is that what the kingdom of heaven looks like? If that was your experience with the church, would you think, heaven, if heaven's like this, maybe I'm not invited, right? Like, I share that story because we jump right into the very beginning of James chapter 2, and, and it's like James is not pulling punches in this book, is he? He goes right to it and he says, listen, you cannot show favoritism. Like, that is not what should happen when we come to a church. This is what Warren Wiersbe says, and I think this is, we're all prone to this. He says, we are prone to judge people by their past and not their future. We're prone to see them where they're at and not where God wants to take them, right? We're so often maybe look at outward appearances, and, and we can't push past that to see somebody who is growing or who needs help, who needs hope, and is longing and looking for that. And I don't want ever want to be a church like that that says, I'm sorry, you don't play the part right? Because that's not God. 
See, when we think about favoritism, we need to understand that favoritism is the opposite of God's character. It is not who God is. We see that in all, a bunch of different scriptures all throughout the Bible. This is what I want you to write down when we think about um, favoritism. See, favoritism is against God's character, right? It's inconsiderate to others, and it's opposed to the call to love like Jesus. When we choose to show favoritism to somebody because we think they're maybe a little bit honorable or maybe they look like a little bit more professional or maybe they seem like you've got your act together or, or maybe they're wealthy, they're rich, they have more than you have, uh, whatever that might be, or they're, they're in a position that seems like, well, they should, be, you know, they should be really honored. When we place that on somebody and treat them different because of those circumstances, we are acting the opposite of the character of God. God shows no favoritism, does he? There is, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. It does not matter what you have, where you've been, what you've done. Like, we are all at the same level at the foot of the cross. Like, there cannot be favoritism because God shows no favoritism. He allows anyone and everyone to come to the foot of the cross. And he invites everyone to come to him. There's always an invitation by God. It is always standing. And whoever wants to take that invitation you're allowed to. God is not a God of favoritism. Isn't that good? I mean, when we read the Gospels, we read through the book of Luke, you know, when we did that series, and you see how Jesus responds to people. I love that he was guilty of hanging around tax collectors and sinners, right? He was called a drunkard and a partier, you know, because he showed no favoritism. We see it in Christ alone. It's, a, it, it's inconsiderate of others. Like, you think about the highest command for us is to love others above ourselves, like, love God with the, all you got and love others. And when you love others, you humbly love them. You don't love them with expectation of return. You love them in humility. That's what true love is. True love doesn't say, change, and then I'll start to love you. That's not love. That's manipulation, right? Love does something. Oh, we're going to get to that in a minute. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. See, God has attached equal value of inestimable worth to every single human being. All of us have it in the presence of God. And when we oppose somebody else or treat somebody else differently, what we're doing is saying you have more value than they do. And God does not say that. He does not operate that way. We are called to love like Jesus, right? When you show favoritism, you're opposed to the call to love like Jesus. It's opposed to the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your might, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the highest commandment. And we throw a question around here at New Hope when you're getting in situations, and even situations that are difficult, even some people who are unlovable or tricky to love, right? The question that we always ask ourselves is, but what does love demand of me in this? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. If we're showing favoritism or not favoritism, if we're, if we're looking down on somebody or looking higher at somebody than we ought to, like, what does love demand of me in this? How do I act? Because I want to be a lot more like Christ than a lot more like Tim. <laughs> right? You think about what God has done for us. Like, like, I think he's so passionate about talking about favoritism for a couple reasons. One, in this point of history, he's talking primarily to the Jewish believers, those who grew up in the Jewish faith, in the culture, in the temple worship, all that kind of stuff. And there was a certain culture that existed. It was a culture of pride and honor. Like they were longing to be recognized by those more important than them so that they can feel like something or they can rise up in the ranks to become something. Like that is what was a part of the temple worship process. 
When you were a kid, you grew up under rabbis, and those rabbis would teach you. And if you got chosen to be taught by a certain rabbi, it's like, wow, look at me. You're looking to be honored and then raised up into that so you can become a priest someday or in the Sanhedrin or whatever it might be. And it was always this process of wanting something more. You'd be considered blessed by God if you were honored by others. And so he's talking to that, that culture of these Jews of saying, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not what heaven looks like. That's not who God is. That's not his character. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. He says, no, you've got to push against the culture of favoritism so hard, so hard. I mean, think about it. Think about God and you. Do you know what you were worth to God? You were worth Jesus to God. Can you equate that? Now look at the person next to you that you don't like. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) Or think about that person that you don't like. They are worth Jesus to God. Are you with me? That's how much God values all of us. He sent his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life because he's the one that paid for our sin. That we can have life. That cost of our Heavenly Father and His Son, it was worth it for you and the person next to you and the person at work that doesn't like you or you don't like. Like, we are all equal in the eyes of God. Isn't that awesome? And also mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, where am I going with this one? Mm-mm-mm. I talk about that, talk about that, talk about that, talk about that. Oh, this is where I'm going. So when you think about what favoritism is, like I, I want to expose favoritism in our own hearts a little bit, okay? This is a two-part sermon. We're in part one. Because w- when we're thinking about, like, do I show favoritism? Is that like an issue with me? Is it, like, this is a good way to, to kind of pull this out. Like, this is what favoritism is. Favoritism equals pride, insecurity, and a valuing of people in unhealthy ways. Favoritism equals pride, why does favoritism equal pride? Well, because pride is always longing for recognition. That's what pride is. It's about me. Look at me. And so if I'm showing favoritism to somebody, or I'm, especially if somebody more important than me, and I'm like giving them like, here, here sit, sit next to me, or, or no, let, let me bless you with this thing. Or if I'm trying to earn favor with that person, it's really, bottom line, all about me, trying to get something from them in their position. When we show favoritism, we are actually living into pride in our own lives because we want something. We want honored. We want a good word. We want whatever it might be with that person. Or we just, even if we just want to be like looked good upon by that person because they're in a certain position, that is pride that bubbles up out of us. That's not good. Then insecurity is a big one too. Like when you're insecure and somebody like more important shows up, right? Like you want to like be like, oh, oh, you know, you, like you like do some unhealthy lifting of them. And it's like, they're, look at them. Oh, that's amazing. Or, or you look up to some people that you probably shouldn't look up to and start, start to like look like them because like you see some things in them and you're like, man, can I be like them? And that's really based on your own security. God just wants you to be you, not to be them or be like them. Or somebody who comes in who has pride and like tries to rule over people if you show them favoritism, you're letting them control you and your insecurity. You need to be who you are, who God called you to be. And then a valuing of people in unhealthy ways. 
which just goes back to what I said with God's character. You put somebody way up here, and you do things for them that you would never do for somebody down here. There's, there's a value that God didn't put there. Does that make sense? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, front row. Here we go. This is the, and then he just kind of goes for the punch, right, when he talks about favoritism. Here's the punch. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's like, James, simmer down now. Like, whoa. Like, so me, like, me just showing a little bit of favoritism? Yeah, it's like murder and adultery and favoritism is what he, what he says in that passage. You're like, whoa, those aren't equal. He said, it's all sin. Meaning, at the foot of the cross, it's all the same sin. It's sin. So whatever the sin is when we come to the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter. The level, the amount, the complexity, the way, it's like, here's all the sin. And we all have it at the foot of the cross. That's what makes us equal. So, so if you're showing favoritism, if you're showing somebody more important than somebody else, you are sinning. It's point blank what he's saying. Are we supposed to sin? No. no, right? Like we're not supposed to do it. So he's like, don't do it. Don't jump into it. He just, James just labels it what it is. Favoritism is sin. Now, I, I'm going to let you kind of inspect your own heart, your own life, right? Because I don't know all, all your stories. The question that you need to ask yourself is, is there areas where I'm doing this, right? Are there relationships where I'm actually showing favoritism over somebody else? Or do I look down on a certain group of people? Do I look down on um, certain people or specific people that I probably should stop looking down on? You have to answer those questions. I don't, have, I don't know those answers for you. I know them for me. Um, but that, that's where we're talking about favoritism. Just so you know, I, there's one thing I love about New Hope Church. This is not a part of our culture, right? I pray and hope, and I, we have worked so hard to build a culture here that whoever comes through that door on a Sunday morning, whoever shows up at somebody's small group, whoever shows up at an event or, or something we have here at the church, no matter where they're coming from, they know I'm welcome here. That is who we are at New Hope. I praise God for that. You have no idea how thankful I am that we have created that culture here. Because that's our mission, to help those who are broken find wholeness in Christ. Anybody broken? Amen. Right? <laughs> like, that's, that's who we want to come here. <laughs> and we always want them to feel welcome. There's been times that people have showed up to church here, and um, I'm going to be very careful with this. I'm going to try my best to be careful with this. Um, who, who showed up, and they were new to the church, and, and, um, and they're used to other churches and other church cultures, and they wanted to do something in the church like have an event or something. And they said, well, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about being like extra generous to the church if you'd be willing to let us do this. And do you know what I said? Then this might not be your church because we're not controlled by money. What? Now, I tell you, I know pastors that would have been like, you said what? How much money did they have? Right? Like, they would have been like, what? we got to pay bills and we got to do that thing. We got to whatever. Like, there are pastors and churches that operate in the fear that turns into favoritism because they don't realize God is the provider, not a person. There's no big wig, fat check person in this church that just does it all. Like, we all give. And because we're a part of this body and we give what we can that God calls us to, right? So there's no favoritism. 
when it comes to money, finances, wealth, position, giving. Like, none of that exists here. Just so you know, even at the highest level, we don't operate that way because that's not what God called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's move on to point two. Okay. Everybody done with that one? Everybody say this with me. Don't show favoritism. Amen. All right. So, uh, skipping ahead there. All right. So here we go. Let's let's hop into the second half because the first half, you know, uh, we're just jumping in. So the second half that he starts talking about, he's talking about this faith and deeds and works and all this kind of stuff. And and this is honestly, this the second part of James chapter two has been debated by um, people for history. And I and for me, I actually don't understand why because to me, when I read it, it's very clear. But some people have different doctrines based upon what we're going to talk about in just a moment, okay? I'm going to present what I see and how I read it in scriptures and, and when we're talking about faith and works and deeds. Um, has anybody ever, and this is not a good thing, but has anybody ever had to stay in the hospital like overnight or like go to the ER, right? Like have you ever experienced like that? Or maybe a family member has or whatever. So when you're in the hospital and you have to be there an extended time and they put you in a room, they do something about every two hours, one hour, three hours, depending while you're in there. But they come in and a nurse shows up and they says, hey, I need to take your vitals, right? They need to take your vital signs. So they come in and they put the cuff on your arm or it's already just there and it just does it automatically and then it beeps when you're sleeping at three in the morning, right? It's like, come on now. Like, and so it's going and it pumps up and it's like, okay, here's your blood pressure and here's your heart rate. And they put the little thing on your finger. They're measuring oxygen, your oxygen levels in your blood, which I don't understand how it's, we live in a pretty cool place, right? Like that we can have all the equipment that they do to take all these things, right? And and maybe even when you first get in there, regular doctor's appointments, they make you stand on a scale. Like, don't make me do that, right? It's like, come on, like, hmm, right? So like, so they're measuring your weight, they're measuring your height, they're, you know, they're taking all these vital signs to see, are you healthy? Or what's happening inside your body? Imagine if you went to a doctor's office and, uh, and they didn't do any of that stuff. Or it's like an ER. There's something happening inside everybody. You go to the ER and they take you into the room and they just look at you. And they just, they just kind of look at you and look at you up and down. And they're like, you seem okay. <laughs> and then they said, we'll be back and just look at you again in about an hour, all right? And then they walk out of the room and then an hour later they just come back and they just, okay, we're going to look at you again. And they just looked at you. Would you go back to that ER? No. no. It's like, what are you looking at? You don't even know what's going on. Like, you don't even know. See, when we're talking about, and we're getting into chapter two, the second half, we're talking about something that I see as James talking about checking your spiritual vital signs. Is there life inside of you? Is, is the Holy Spirit of God working in you? Because there are signs that will come out of you when we see God working in you. Does that make sense? So that's what we're looking at when we get into this part of James. James is talking about these, the most important spiritual vital sign. And it, this is what it is. It's faith in action. That's what he's talking about. And so I want to unpack three types of faith that he talks about in this section. And, and just so you know, I stole these main words straight from Warren Wiersbe's um, commentary, okay? So like when I read them, I'm like, I can't do any better than that. You're brilliant. And these three points, that's what I'm preaching on. So whenever I steal something, I let you know, all right? And so we're going to learn it because he talks about three different types of faith. And for you, this is, this is going to be a testing, some vital signs for us. Where is your faith in God, right? So here's the first one. The first one that we're talking about is, is a dead faith. A dead faith. A dead faith is a faith where there's no actions. There no actions that give proof of your faith is a dead faith. All right? Dead faith, no actions that give proof 
of your faith, of what's inside of you. So here, here's a few of those verses. Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. dead. Verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. dead. That's what he's talking about, dead faith. See, dead faith is, is faith, but there's no actions attached to it, right? There's nothing happening with that faith that you have. Now, I'm, I'm, let, me, let, me, let me divide the doctrinal and theological conversations that have happened over generations. There's been an argument, especially with the Jews, and that's why he's talking about it here, that the Jews believed their works were a part of their salvation. Like, I believe in God, but then I have to keep proving it to keep my salvation, to prove I, can, I am, you know, like, I, I want to be saved, so I'm going to do the works to get saved. And so that's, that was a part of the Jewish believers because that was a part of the Jews. That's what they taught. You do all the good stuff. You do all the right stuff. You do all the ceremonies. You do all the celebrations. You go to the temple when you're supposed to go, and you do all this stuff. And like the gospel basically said, it's not about doing anymore. Salvation is not a do. Salvation is a gift you get. It's a receive, not a do. And so I want to split the difference between faith and salvation when we're talking about this topic Okay, because salvation only comes because of Jesus Christ, right? It is by grace you are saved. Do you know what grace means? It's God's unmerited favor. Like He chose you. That's His grace. He chose to do it. He He did it. That's God. And because of His choosing, His overlooking all of our sin, all of our like He shows us grace, and then we have faith in that salvation. We have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, right? We are saved through faith by grace in Jesus Christ. It's not works. We don't do works to get saved. And so that's the tension he's, he's teaching in this, because we see Paul, you can read in Romans, all sorts of different places in the New Testament, where it talks about that. Like, you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith, by grace, by what God has done. And so when he's talking about this dead faith, man, I've struggled with this one uh, for a long time, about what does this mean? So I, I want to use an illustration. I have a, I have a glass here, okay? I have a glass. I'm going to fill it up with some milk. Now, I'm going to do something that's just so rude during a fast, but just love me anyways. All right. Um, so I'm going to fill that up to about there. Glass of milk. What goes with a glass of milk? All of you have your own opinions, is what I just heard. So I, I want to use the illustration this morning of chocolate milk, okay? I'm not drinking it during the fast, but dang it, here we go. This is the best illustration that I saw. Okay, so when we're talking about this, so let's pretend, let's pretend this is you. You are the glass of milk. When you receive salvation, meaning you accept the gift of what Christ has done for you, you now have faith. Chocolate syrup is faith. So when I add the chocolate syrup, yummy, <laughs> yummy indeed. Do you see how much I'm putting in there? It's about 50-50 is the proper... So now you have faith, but where's the faith? At the bottom. I'm going to call this dead faith. Because yes, you, this is you, and you've accepted the message. You've accepted salvation. So for some of you, that's like the get out of hell free card, right? It's like, okay, I believe in Jesus and what he did for me. And now I have faith. And so it gets poured in your life, but then it just sits at the bottom. It's not chocolate milk yet, is it? It's chocolate and milk. 
It hasn't changed you. It's just sitting there and hanging out. This is what I would call dead faith. You, you have a part of it, but it's not changing you. You all with me? Okay. See, this is, this is where... Um, this is where dead faith... I'm going to try my best not to spill that. We're talking about dead faith. This is kind of like this. Like, if, if you have a relationship, maybe you're even in a marriage, and you continually have a, you know, your loved one, and they, they always come up to you and they say, I love you. I love you so much. And they say it all the time. I love you. I love you. But they don't ever do anything about that love. All they do is say it. And then they just kind of live their own life, do their own thing. And then they come back and say, oh, I love you. And then just go live their life do the same things, come back, oh, I love you. How many of you would be annoyed in that relationship? Because at some point in that relationship, you just become roommates, right? Because there's no love shown. It's spoken, but there's nothing happening because of that love. This is this picture of faith without works. I would call that a dead love. I would call that, if you're not doing anything with faith, a dead faith. It has nothing attached to it. You're doing nothing about it. You may say it, but there's no action attached to it. I would also call this in the Christendom world, especially in the United States, I would call this consumer Christianity. This is where we believe in God, but we come, we show up, we consume God, meaning we get something from maybe church, a worship gathering, we get something from a good preacher on the internet or whatever, and we just like continually just consume God, but then nothing happens because of it. We're entertained believers. We're fat sheep, Right? because we're not exercising, we're not moving, we maybe have faith, but it's not doing anything. That is consumer Christianity, and we don't want to live that way. That is a dead faith. It's faith where there's no actions to give proof to the faith that's in you. It's still milk, it's still chocolate, but it's separate. So we don't want that. Then he gets even, I mean, imagine talking to the Jews. He's preaching to the Jews right now, and they're thinking, I have faith? What are you talking about, right? Like, they're probably very offended by this part of the passage. They're like, whoa, James, like, what do you mean? My faith's not dead. I believe in God. I believe in God. And then he gets even like, boom, he hits him even harder because he talks about demonic faith. Well, now you're talking about demons? You went from like dead faith, now you're talking about demonic faith? You got to be kidding me. And this is what demonic faith is. Demonic faith is believing in God, but unrepentant and rebellious towards him. That's demonic faith. It's believing, yeah, there is a God, but it's not, he's not, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to turn to him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to rebel against him. I'm going to do whatever I want. That is a belief in God with no action and actually the opposite of action. You're running away. You're doing the opposite of God. This is dangerous. I mean, imagine the, the uh, imagine the Jews hearing this. They're like, excuse me? What are you saying to me? This is what he said to them. He said, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that God, that there is one God. He's directly talking to the Jews. You believe there's one God. Ooh, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's like believing that there is a God does not mean you know that God. Over generations, you know, we grew up in America, which is called the Christian nation for a long, long time, right? Uh, I, there was at one point where like 80% of the country would say, yes, I believe in God, or even yes, I, I pray to God. 
But if you looked at the nation and the life of the nation, there wasn't a whole lot of proof that that's what actually what was going on with 80% of the nation, right? Um, they, would have, they, I believe, would have what I would call demonic faith. The demons had good theology. Did you know that? They knew God. I mean, they were in the presence of God. They, there was no doubt that they knew who God was, right? And we see even when, they were, when the demons would be cast out, when Jesus showed up and he started casting these demons out, they would say things that they knew about Jesus. They called him the Messiah. You're the son of God. They knew who Jesus was, right? They believed in Jesus. They knew that there was a place of torment for them as they cried out. Don't send us there. Don't send, send us into the pigs, right? And drove them off a cliff. Says, and they believed that Jesus was their judge. They had good theology, <laughs> but they weren't believers in faith living like Christ, right? They rebelled. They were unrepentant. They ran away from God. This is a demonic faith. Have you ever heard this before? Some of you may have never heard this before. So, so true faith, just so you know, true faith, when we see it, doesn't reside in intellect. True faith isn't just knowing. That's not where it sits. If it's just like, I, I learned a lot, I understand a lot about God, I'm telling you, there's a lot of seminary prophet, or profs that are not going to heaven because they think they know it all, but they actually have no relationship with the God of the universe. Their faith is only here, and it's never gone here. And that's a sad statement for me to make. And, and I'm not judging seminary profs, okay? Because there's a lot of good ones out there. There's a lot of ones that love Jesus. So I'm not doing a blanket statement there. But what I'm saying to you is that knowing does not equal salvation. It is in repentance and a full acceptance of Jesus personally that brings salvation. That's believing faith, right? Y'all with me? So if I had another cup, this is what I would do. I'm talking about demonic faith, and I don't, so sorry. So what I would do is I would have a cup, and it'd be full of chocolate syrup over here all by itself, and I'd have a cup full of milk over here all by itself. That's demonic faith. Meaning they see it, they know that that's real. They, they, the demon over here is knowing that, yeah, that is God. Yeah, that's what, that is Jesus, but it's done nothing in them, and they're turning and running away. That's demonic faith. It's unrepentant. All right. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is obviously one we don't want. And this is a challenging one, especially in our country. Because I believe a lot of people, they just believe in God and think they're good. But God is not in them. And then the last one is the one we want to live into. We're going to use the word dynamic faith. Dynamic faith. If something's dynamic, it's like wide, it's, it has breadth, it has impact, right? Something that's dynamic. So dynamic faith is real faith that has power, and it's proven by life change and action. This is dynamic faith. Dynamic faith is, is, is faith that moves. It's faith that has feet, right? It's doing something. It's being proved by the external because it's internal, but it gets proved by what you see on the external, it is shown by power, meaning when you live in that type of faith and you're starting to do stuff, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you starts to work in you and out of you. There's something that, gets, that happens in that interchange, which is amazing. And, and that power then is proven because you start looking different than you did a year ago. And you look different than you looked two years ago. 
because you've activated your faith. You're growing. You're doing something with what you're receiving. It's not just settling to the bottom of your life. It's, it's moving. It's flowing, and, it, and it's attached to action, and that's what he's saying. He's saying, show me your faith by your works. It's, your works are not your salvation. You are saved by faith. Now, show your faith. Live it out. The vital sign of spiritual vitality is action. It's life change. It's growth. It's you doing something with what you've learned. You all with me? And this is what he's saying. Because right now, this is not chocolate milk. Right? This is chocolate and milk. It doesn't turn into chocolate milk until I do what? Until I stir it up. This is so tempting. It takes action, right? Some of you need to stir up your faith. Some of your faith's been sitting at the bottom a long, long time. This is what chocolate milk is. This is what dynamic faith is. It's faith that stirs up. It stirs you up to do something. It stirs you up to live out something. It stirs you up to change something inside of you. That is dynamic faith, and that's what I believe James is trying to teach the church in this passage in in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. And then he goes in, and he's already offended the Jews because he's like, you're like demons. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then he goes to Abraham. It's like, okay, now we can talk about Abraham. Father Abraham, what are you going to say about Abraham? It's like, well, Abraham, yes, Abraham had faith in God. I mean, God called Abraham out of the side of a desert. Like, for no reason, we don't know why God picked this guy, but he did. He picked him. He said, you're going to be mine, and I'm going to raise up generations through you. You're going to be blessed. And all, like, all these blessings come to Abraham. And they're like, yes, Abraham is our father. Okay, help us understand faith. He says, well, Abraham's faith, how did it get shown? Well, when God told him, now that you have a son, a promised son, Isaac, you take him and you sacrifice him. To me, what? That's a whole crazy story I don't have time to get into. But God was asking him to do something that God was going to do himself with his own son. I see it as prophecy and a test. And so here's Abraham. He takes his son Isaac up to the altar, and he is ready to do what God called him to do and to sacrifice his son at the altar to worship God. And God says, stop, right? An angel shows up, stops him right before it happens. And it was credited him as righteousness. And James says here, he proved his faith by doing what God told him. Even though it didn't make sense, he stepped in. Like, whoa. So they're thinking, okay, I'm starting to understand. Abraham, yes, he had faith, but it was proven by what he did. Right? What's inside got stirred up, so it showed up in every part of his life. And then he, then he gets controversial again. He goes, and then there's Rahab prostitute. They're like, oh man, we were with Abraham. Demon, now we're back to Rahab? Come on now. Like Rahab was the prostitute that saved the spies that came into the city. That They were going to be, <laughs> bad things were going to happen. And she saved them, hid them in her own home. And when they came to take over that city, God saved her and her family and honored her because of her faith. He didn't judge her because of her lifestyle or the sin that she was living in in that city. Her faith was proven by her deeds, her actions of what she did. And that's what he says in the end of that. We want to have our faith stirred up to action. We want to be a people that don't just let it sit on the bottom. We don't want to be a people who are consumeristic Christians, right? 
that just have dead faith. Like, just, I'm here. I'm getting stuff. This is awesome. I'm going to go home. Like, no. Let the Word of God stir things up. Let the Holy Spirit of God stir it up into you so you start to show the vital sign of faith, which is action. See, we use a definition here in New Hope, and I shared it, I thought it was last week, the week before, of what a disciple is. We don't want you just to be a believer and just believe in God. We want you to be a disciple, which is a follower of God. One that starts to look more like Jesus. And this is what we say a disciple is, somebody who's surrendered to God daily. God, here I am, open-handed. You think about Abraham. That's where, that was, I, I'm here. Changed by the Holy Spirit. Holy syrup because of chocolate syrup, sorry. <laughs> by the Holy Syrup, you know, like, sorry. Fasting is hard. All right, so surrender to God, changed by the Holy Spirit. So you're changing, you're growing, you're looking different. That's a part of the action. That's the activated faith. The Holy Spirit starts working in you and living like Jesus. You start looking more like him. You start loving more. You start showing less favoritism. You start being less judgmental towards people that aren't like you. You, you start to, to, to grow, to understand God's words. You, 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 you know what I'm saying? So this is what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who has activated their faith, stirred it up, and they're doing things. And the external of what's happening and the actions that are going on are proof of the faith that is inside of you. It is a vital sign. So the question is, where's your spiritual vital signs? today. Where, where's your faith? Is it dead and dormant? Is it demonic? Like, do you just believe in God, but not, I don't, I think everybody gets to heaven. I, I think some general things. That's demonic faith. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. I, I want to encourage you. There's so much more, and there's truth that you need to understand today. Or is it, is it dynamic? Are things growing and changing inside of you? That's where we all want to be. That's why as a church, we try to provide opportunities for you to do those things, to grow, to be in community, whether it's small groups or class or, or coming on Sundays, not just coming, but serving. If you just show up and don't give anything, just that might be a test of your faith. If you're willing to show up and serve somewhere here on Sundays or during the week or whatever it might be, that could be a sign that your faith is being put to work, right? Like, don't just come receiving leave. Come serve and give. And I, I promise you, the more you do that, the more you get to walk into the promises that God has. And that's what we want to experience in our life. Would you pray with me? We're going to take some time of response this morning. So God, thank you for your word this morning. God, as we talk about chocolate milk, <laughs> as we talk about stirring up our faith and, and trying to grow in the things that, that we need to grow in. I pray, God, that you would just lead us in this time of response. You're already stirring, you know, us up. I mean, you're already either convicting us of certain things or maybe ways that we treat people we shouldn't or maybe those ways where it's like, yeah, you know, judging our own faith of like, where, where is it? I, I pray that you would just reveal those things to us right now, Holy Spirit as we take some time to respond. So, I've already asked you those questions. Assess your own heart. Assess your own faith, right? And let, let the God speak to you. It, like, sometimes, sometimes guilt and conviction connected are a good thing. Um, let it turn into conviction. Conviction then leads to change. If it's just guilt, 
it doesn't do anything. If it moves to conviction, like, no, I want to grow, I would encourage you to do that, to grow. Now, those of you in this room that don't know Christ yet, meaning your faith has not been activated, you don't even have salvation, you don't have saving faith yet, you don't have a relationship with God, whether you're here, those of you online watching right now, I want to encourage you, you can have faith, and that faith can turn into action, and you can receive the gift of salvation. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for all of our sin. That's the cost of sin is death. He died in our place to pay for it in front of our Heavenly Father. He conquered death even three days later, rose again that we can have new life and full life in Him. And so as we walk into this, I want to encourage you, if you don't have that relationship, you can accept that gift of salvation today. That's what it is. It's a gift. God just always has it open. It's a matter of you choosing to confess Christ personally as your Savior and starting to live into the things He has for you and let the Holy Spirit start to change you. If you want that, we're going to pray right now. And you can pray, and you can ask God into your life, and you can receive that salvation, and you can start this real dynamic faith thing that we're talking about. So that's you. Anybody in the room, I would, I would ask you to pray this out loud to your Heavenly Father. Make your own words. Wherever you're at online, you can do the same thing. I say there's no magic prayer of the pastor. I'm no closer to God than any of us. I just know Jesus, and he knows you. Would you pray? If that's you, you can say this. Say, God, I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross for my sins. And I ask, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you free me? Would you make me yours? I invite you in to the depths of my heart and my life. I don't want dead faith. I don't want demonic faith. I want real dynamic faith. I want to know that I know and believe what you've done for me, that I can be with you forever. So forgive me. Holy Spirit, enter into my heart, my life. Jesus, come in and change me and give me peace. And I just ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.